All hits all the time. We are family. We're busting ours. Pick yours. Fun to watch. Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfect. Oh, mercy. Five, four, three, two, one. From back inside the Masson Web Studio, it is finally the Masson All Access Podcast. We are back home and off the road after a World Series championship run and a parade. Bobby Blanco and Paul Mancano with you. Masson All Access Podcast, of course, is brought to you by our friends at Marymount University. Visit MarymountSaints.com to learn more about our student athletes and programs today. Paul, it's cold outside, but we are finally home. We are in the warm comfort of our own web studio. It's good to be back in a clean studio as well. A very clean studio uh, and a, a very cold day, Bobby. It's, it's freezing. Uh, it's freezing. Yeah, like two days ago, it was it's, like 70 degrees, it I, felt like. I do believe that it was colder inside Minute Maid Park for game six and seven, though. Yes, it was freezing for absolutely no reason. No reason at all. You would think an indoor stadium that can control its own temperature would be warmer. Isn't that the whole point of climate control? Inside of you would think indoor you know stadium. you would think but um but it was a swimming pool it anyway so it, it it had the feel of a swimming pool it did, and smell and not to mention just a little thing about being covered in champagne and beer true because of a World Series celebration and then having to stand outside in the freezing cold yeah that was not ideal no that it was, was not but I'll take it any day of the week because the Nationals won the World Series they won uh, Game Seven of the World Series they won uh, Game Seven of the World yeah, Series I night. think uh, think I think Nationals fans if they haven't realized it yet. Just say it to yourself over and over again, and it will come true. Uh, it, it, will, it will finally sink in at some point. Um, it can take a long time for a championship like that to sink in. So social media manager Hannah Broder is a big fan of the Who Won the World Series yeah. bit. And, uh, yeah, I was just saying the other day, I think I, I was actually with uh, uh, Jamal Collier, a friend of the program, MLB.com. MLB.com, yeah. And he, I mean, he was just kind of like, you know, me being nice to me. He was like, how you doing? I was like, it honestly it, it shocks me every time I think about it. Yeah. Like, it's surreal. Like, every time I think that they won the World Series. Like, when the Caps won the Cup, it was like, yeah, they were on the cusp, the cups, the cusp of winning the Cup for years. And it was just getting over the hump of beating the Penguins was, like, just good enough for us. And then they won the whole thing. And that was just amazing. But the Nats winning the World Series still, like, coming from the wild card game down, obviously 1931. It was just like, they, they did it. Yeah. They did it. It's very, very, very cool, but weird feeling that kind of have to like shake yourself awake. Like there's, I'm not dreaming, right? Like this actually, that actually happened. Yeah. And you have to soak it in for everything it's worth. Yes. I mean, for Nats fans, yes. soak this in for as much as it's worth. I know it, we're in the off season now. I know you can sign free agents and deals can get made, but you got to soak this in for as long as possible yeah. because you never know when the next one is going to come. A couple days after the world series, I was talking to a friend of mine who's a Nats fan and, uh, you know, we were talking about the World Series, and then he said, I, I don't know if they can repeat next year. And I said, stop right there, <laughs> okay? Just stop right there. Don't yeah. even think about it. And we're going to talk about, you know, eventually we're going to talk about the offseason and what they can do to improve this team, the decisions that they have to make. Mike Rizzo probably doesn't have much of an offseason. He probably got right back to work the day after Game 7. But enjoy this, and, and, and you guys are the defending World Series champs until you're not. <laughs> I mean, this is... You know, uh, unless they go back-to-back, you are defending World Series champions until the next team holds up the trophy. Right. So 
it is a celebration year, and it, you know the 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 party in Houston is and the parade in DC is just the beginning. Going to get get rings in a couple months. You guys, the the media presence around this team, whether you like it or not, is going to be bolstered. They are going to be the defending World Series champs for the next. 10 months or however long. Yeah, it's, yeah, that's so true. And it, I, I'm trying to soak it every 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 second of it. Like, as as my fandom, my fan side of, of what I do, my, my girlfriend asked me the other day, how, how much money do you think you've spent on World Series gear? And I was like, <laughs> well, like, making the World Series gear or, like, post-winning the World Series gear? She's like, well, both. And I was like, all right, well, just on myself or with everybody? <laughs> and she's like, just you. And I kind of did a quick tally in my head. And I was like, Probably around three hundred dollars, and wow. she was like three hundred dollars. I was like, "That's I, probably fair." I don't know when they're gonna. They, they may never ever make the World Series ever again in my lifetime. The the one time they do it, also just the special run that this all was. I, I'm gonna soak, like you said, soak in every second of it. Like yeah. I am, I want to hold on to these memories, and also you know the fact that I was there, and we were working it, we were covering it. I mean, that's just memories that I want to hold on forever and cherish, and I'm going to squeeze every ounce yeah. I can get out of it, especially over the next, like you said, 10 months or whatever it is, because, I mean, it's just so special, and you never know what's going to yeah. happen. Like, And, like, I think that was part of, like, my biggest dread going into Game 7. And it's like, you know, it's amazing that they got here. I think I said this on our Game 7 recap pod, but it's amazing that they got here, but... And and I it, I can stomach losing a game seven better than if had they lost game six, but man, if they lose, it's just like because you'd never know if you're gonna yeah. get back, and you're like you were that close to winning it, and then you never. I mean, I, obviously, this team is is built really well. This organization is a very, one of the best functioning organizations in all of baseball. So you would hope that they would continue to have success and have opportunities and be contenders for the World Series year in and year out, but you just never know. Yeah. I mean, how many times did we say that between 2012 and 2017 and they couldn't get out of the first round? So it is truly a, a you know, a hard-earned, but as a fan, yeah. a privilege to, you know, see your team win the World Series and you really got to soak it in for all it's worth. And the Nationals are a more veteran team. They still do True. have, a, you know, a, a young group of uh, core of players, but, you know... That even even the youngest cores that win it all, the the dynasties that we think are going to be built sometimes are never never come to fruition. Yeah. I mean, who knows? With the you know the Astros won it two years ago and they looked like the budding of a dynasty, and they haven't won since. And their their core is getting older, and now they might lose Garrett Cole and it, all of these decisions. You know, it it is so hard to get there. That dynasties are so hard to build, especially in baseball because of just the randomness of, of all of it. And yeah. so to get there, when you get there, you really, really want to win more than even if you didn't get there. Yeah. So um, it is, it, it was an incredible run. The other question I have for you, Bobby, is I think, it, I think fans often face a tough decision uh, when you're, uh, you make it to the World Series of, do I buy the National League championship hat and gear Knowing, you know, with or is that jinxing the team by saying that's as far as we're going to get? And knowing that if they win it, it's probably a little, it makes a little bit less like, you know, you, you didn't get the World Series championship gear. Yeah. So it's it's a tough decision, to, but it could be all that you get. Paul, look, let me. Look. <laughs> I can get, I can see in your eyes that this is a tough decision that you've had to make. Over oh my God, it was, the only, it was the only thing I thought about because also keep in mind that, you know, it was fantastic that the, the Nats swept the Cardinals in the NLCS, but I had a week to think about this before we had to go to Houston, or we even knew where we were going. We were going to go to Houston. That was 
and during that week, which was supposed to be calming because they won the National League pennant and, you know, we had to tr- keep the season continues, so we had to keep traveling. That was the most stressful part of that week because, like, all right, I'm, and I'm going to forever compare, until someone else wins, I'm going to forever compare this Nats run to the 2018 Caps run. 2018, Caps win the Eastern Conference, don't care. Not I'm not buying that I, I saw a buddy yesterday who had like the Eastern Conference champion hat on. And uh-huh. I was like, all right. It says like Stanley Cup final patch, just final, not champions. And I was like, all right. I, yeah, I, I don't want that. I don't want <laughs> Give me the real thing. Yeah. I want the real thing. Now, my argument, I ended up buying the T-shirt and the hat for the World Series. And my argument for that was, because I'm totally in that camp of, like, if the Redskins were to ever win the NFC Championship and make the Super Bowl, I wouldn't. Like, did you buy NFC Championship gear when the Eagles won? I thought about it, and I didn't pull the trigger. Yeah, I, I would do the same thing. I was away for the, the big one, the real one, the Super Bowl. And But my argument for buying the stuff when they won the pennant was, it's the pennant. It's different than any other. It's sure. not a conference championship. You know, for the longest time, way back in beginning of the beginning you know beginning of the world series in baseball winning the pennant was winning the championship and then there were no playoffs it was yeah. just the winner of the american league versus the winner of the national league played for the world series yeah. there weren't like you know a while obviously a walker game or a divisional round it was just those two winners and winning the pennant was a big thing yeah so oh, before i mean before the play of the modern playoff era that was like winning the pennant was like almost as good as winning the world right. Series. it was a big deal yeah and and i like how baseball has kind of stuck to that tradition because like if you look at all the gear that you know, all the on-field gear that the the, the Nats were um, wearing after mm-hmm. they beat the Cardinals, and like it's like you know, the hat just says World Series. It doesn't say National League champions. It doesn't right. say American League champions. I think the T-shirt does, mm-hmm. but like it, the, the the going to the World Series hat just says World Series. And to me, I was like, again, you know, they may never make it this far again. I want to remember them making the World Series for forever because they might not make it again. And winning the pennant. I don't know. It's different than winning the Eastern Conference in basketball or hockey or the NFC or AFC in in football. It's it just it's just the tradition that baseball has, the longstanding history. It's that it's just special in and of itself to win your pennant and make yeah. the World Series. That's why I pulled the trigger this time. But like I did not do against with the Caps. I probably wouldn't do it yeah. again, and I wouldn't do it. You know, for the Wizards or the Redskins. But if the Nats ever win the pennant again, I probably would because it's just special and it's different. Uh, I think, in at least in football, I know it's a tradition of some teams. I don't know if how much they do it anymore, but I know some teams that win their conference championships don't touch the trophy hockey. or celebrate hockey yeah. um, because that's not the trophy that they want. Right. Um, I've seen it done in football too. Um, I don't know if that I've ever seen that with baseball because – it is a big deal that you win. It is a it is a big deal that you're going there, and you should enjoy that trophy. Um, I, I remember at the beginning of the playoffs, we were talking about should the Nationals even be celebrating a, a you know getting a wild card berth. We got to experience five different champagne celebrations. Yeah. Um, over the course of a little more than a month, about six weeks. Yep. Um, that's crazy to think about. Um, and you know that that just goes to show also the um the amount of time that. Look, the, the season in and of itself is six months, and then you have a whole extra month of baseball that is you'd get more off days, but these off days are often spent traveling because there's 10 times more travel in the playoffs than there is um, in, the, in the regular season. It's a grind, and to get as far as the World Series is such an incredible accomplishment, especially when you come from the wild card game. 
and then to win it all is just it's it's probably in a lot of ways it might be the most hard fought championship in all of sports. Well, yeah, to that well to that exact point, I think that's why we saw we've seen such this great and amazing and I love it so much friendship and relationship between the Nationals and the Capitals yeah. in, in DC. And it's not just because of obviously you need the personalities. Both teams have very What's the what's the right word? Interesting, person. interesting personalities. Let's go with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're great personalities. Great personalities. For, for the they're media. so much fun. Yeah. Um, but then also, like you said, the grind. I think World Series and Stanley Cup are the two hardest trophies to win in team sports. Like it's because of how long the season is and how much and, and the nature of the sports. How much luck goes into baseball and hockey? You need the puck to bounce the right way. You need. Ryan Zimmerman's bloop single to fall and and you know in no Kendrick's man's land home run to hit the pole to hit the pole you know if it's another foot to the right it's a foul ball all so many things have to go right which of course they did for the Nationals for you to I mean it's not just talent alone you just need in a way the the Nats kind of felt like a team of destiny this year but you need so many things to go your way um, and and we talked about so many times during the postseason run when things don't go your way you need to respond the correct way so. I think that's why we saw such a great bond between these two teams because they appreciate the struggle, the the grind that each team has to go yeah. through to win their respective championships. And I think that's why you also see personalities also added into this factor, but why they both teams just partied so hard and had so much fun after winning it because like, oh my God, that took so much time and effort to accomplish and we finally did it. And also both teams have a long-standing history of success and falling short of yeah. that goal. And then the finally meeting it just is an eruption of joy and, and, and just happiness that we finally did it. And I think that's why all those factors kind of contribute yeah. to why we saw such an interesting collaboration between both these teams in DC. And it was, it's just as a DC sports fan, uh, it really yeah. melts my heart. It just, it's just, it's <laughs> all I've ever wanted. Just be friends and support each other at it all times. It's pretty cute. It's seeing, adorable. Seeing uh, Alex Ovechkin and Adam Eaton had like their hands on each other's knee in the team picture. Oh, it yeah. was like so close. Yeah. Well, uh, like, yeah, those guys <laughs> came up as, fr- like, oh, they're like friends, like yeah. actual friends because coming up in DC at the same time, it's just like, oh, so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I it, the, it was quickly before we get into the good stuff. Yeah. Uh, uh, it was such a long month uh, for us. I had a dream last night that the Nationals were still playing these games and they had to have another series after the World <laughs> Series. And they came back home and played at, at a snowing Nationals park and uh-huh. they were down by two in the eighth and they came back again. And I was like, of course they of came course back. They the eighth. <laughs> yeah. The eighth inning. I, I kid you not, I had a similar dream. It wasn't that uh, we had another game cover. It was like, we missed like an event, like, like, a, 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 like not the parade, but like a similar yeah. type of like rally that like every other media member was there, and you and I were just like, wait, that's oh, that's today, <laughs> yeah, and we we're just like, oh my god, but no, it's that's, finally kind of how it was, for yeah, 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 it's finally the actual off season. You know, the general managers meetings are this weekend. We're less than a month away from winter meetings. It's a lot more calm. It's warm. It's less travel. Spend some time with friends and family over the next couple of months because it is finally the off season. And the Mass and All Access podcast, of course, will be covering all the different aspects throughout the off season. Should be fairly busy. And then, like I said, yes, we're going to before we get to. So we're going to break down obviously every aspect of the off season throughout the off season on, <laughs> yeah. on, the, on the podcast. Um, but today. 
we're going to get into kind of some housekeeping things. It's, it's a awards week in MLB. Yep. So, you know, the obviously Rendon and Max Scherzer are finalists for MVP and Cy Young, respectively. I want to touch on David Martinez, too, kind yes. of getting snubbed for manager Absolutely. of the year. But then before we get into, like, the nitty-gritty episodes later in the coming months of the offseason, we want to look back uh, into the 20. 20- uh, 18-19 offseason and see how the, kind of those signings and, and, and those players turned out and how they affected this roster and how this team ended up uh, succeeding this year. Um, so we'll be, we'll be touching all of those aspects. Yeah. Do you want to talk about uh, awards? The Yeah. Uh, Rendon well, I was going to say one more thing, too, oh, yeah. is just in terms of before we get off to that part, back to the Nats-Caps relationship. Heading into the offseason, I, I do want to caution fans of being too, it's going to be different. Being too, and I was talking with this with Jamal the other too because we actually went to the Caps game. But, you know, but the Caps in 2018 was spectacular. And then they were also in a fortunate place where they could bring back a lot of those players. They re-signed their top defensemen. They had one of their goalies, Brandon Hope, Braden Hopey, available for the next couple of years. They were able to bring back a lot of guys. Except for Trots, right? Except for Trotz. <laughs> Too soon. <laughs> Sorry. Too soon. <laughs> I love Trotzy. But I don't think I don't see that I don't foresee that happening with the Nationals. It's just different circumstances in terms of con, uh, contract and roster construction. And I, I'm just trying to caution Nats fans from falling into that trap. Well, the Capitals did it to try to defend their title, so the Nationals too. It's just not gonna work that way. I think we need to kind of accept that as as a fan base, as as media members. I, mean, I think media members have already accepted that, but like this team is going to look pretty different, maybe not vastly different, but pretty different come opening day in twenty twenty than it did at Game Seven of the World Series. It's always sad when a championship team loses any member of that championship team because yeah, every one of tough. these guys had a, a you know a part in getting them there, um, and you saw every one of those guys up on the stage giving speeches. So. Uh, it, it definitely is a is a tough. It's like the end of a show when you see all the characters just slowly leave their shows. Yeah. Um, but at this point, I mean, look, if the World Series was was the main course and a great dessert, uh, the bill is now due, and yeah. they have to pay it yeah. for the the team, and they have to decide whether they are going to pay every bit of the bill um, yeah. to keep this team together. And um, as as we'll we'll discuss, I think it's it's likely that they will lose at least one big piece of the championship team. Yeah, and we'll get to the biggest piece in just a few seconds, but I do want to talk about because uh, Managers of the Year awards sure. were handed out um, just last night, Tuesday night, mm-hmm. um, after Rookie of the Year was announced on... Victor Robos also found his way on that ballot. I think he finished fifth of six in, the, in that award um, for the National League. But Manager of the League... Now, I'll, full disclosure, not disclosure, but just a caveat... This is probably the toughest award that writers can vote on because there's it's really hard to quantify how much a man like we don't have a metric for that like you know all these have metrics we don't really have a metric for how managers affect the outcomes of of games and and you know had they chosen this player as opposed to this player whatever um, there's no war for managers so it's it's really hard to vote and and judge these guys and the jobs they do. Um, it's you know I guess it comes with the territory. It's the toughest job in the, in the sport, but so Mike Schilt of the Cardinals wins mm-hmm. um, by a fair margin over uh, Craig Council of the Brewers. Brian Snitker for the Braves being the t- finalist for me. Like what 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 adversity did the Braves go through this season? All they did was basically go wire to wire 
um, in, in a division that they were projected to win because they were the defending champions anyways and then fell short in the post. Now, again, all these awards are voted after the regular season, so postseason's not accounted for. So, I, And for Dave Martinez, where this team was on May 24th and to get into the postseason from 19 and 31 and then also injuries to key guys like Rendon missed a chunk of time, Trey Turner had a broken finger, Max Scherzer missed a good chunk of time, and the fact that he was able to keep this group together and they make the postseason to not even be a finalist to me is just kind of mind-boggling. It is. And, you know, we know that these awards are only regular season awards. Right. So, um, But I think obvious, I think if you take out that World Series run, if you take out every bit that happened after this month of September, every stretch of that run, if you just take the six months of the regular season, it's, it is mind-boggling to me that Davey Martinez didn't build a resume that rivaled these three that could have gotten himself into the top three in this yeah um in this competition um yeah and you mentioned right there that the you know it is kind of a tough award to judge to give an example paul molitor won this award in the american league in 2017 he was fired after the 2018 season Mm -hmm. and then rocco baldelli just won it as his replacement the year after so it's it it can change year to year um, and I don't want to discredit the job that, that Schilt did. I think that he was def, uh, deserving to be in that top three because, you know, he was picked up. He was uh, got that job in the midseason 2018, took them to the playoffs, um, really struggled, obviously, in that, 20, in that NLCS. <laughs> um, but um, they were a, gr- a very good regular season team. I agree with the Braves. I mean, that, that roster is about as if, – if you had to give any award um, that doesn't go to a player for that – team it would probably be to uh alex anthropolis is that is that how you say his name mm-hmm. and um for building that team because that team that roster was is stacked it yeah. is absolutely loaded um from top to bottom probably not too many tough decisions that he had to make obviously we don't follow that team on a day-to-day basis and you have to do some things right in order to win a division but when you compare it to the job that davy martinez did in bringing his team back from the brink and a guy that was uh, many around the league thought would be fired in the month of May. Yeah. Um, and it's not like they won despite him or, you know, he was didn't have an effect on it. No, they won in large part because of his leadership. Yeah. I mean, and and he was he was dealt a tough hand in the bullpen at the beginning of the year. He did everything he could to try to get the most out of those guys. It didn't work out. They disregarded the guys that they needed to. And they moved on. He made solid decisions down the stretch in terms of the bullpen. And he led those guys. I mean, half the job of a manager, maybe more than half, is just being a leader that players can believe in. Yeah. And he was that to a T. He was the best. Uh, every player on this roster uh, uh, pretty much has, has expressed praise for Davey Martinez at some point during the season. Yeah, how often did we hear it? I mean, it's it's Davey's win today's mentality that kept this team together. Yeah. You know, forget about tomorrow. Don't worry. Or forget about yesterday. Don't worry about tomorrow. Win today. Go 1-0 today. And, and, and that's not... And we'll be fine. That's not fake. Like, that's... That is... He believes it. And the team... Like, that had an actual effect yeah. on the team. Yeah. The, that that was a magical run. And that was... It, it is it is real. It's, no. it's, you can't exactly quantify it, but it is a it's, real... It's Yeah, quality. because it's not shtick either. If it was shtick, you know, I would have abandoned that bit months ago. Because it's just like... Once you hit 1931... But, I mean, every player, time and time again, backed that, that motto. And that mentality is like... if. You know, and I, 
I said in the in the postseason podcast, you know, I really don't think the Nationals would have reached, gone from nineteen and thirty one and reached where they did. That being the postseason, that's again have to take October out of it, but without David Martinez, because again, no that that group of players that I mean, it's a great mix of young and old, but they could have easily fallen apart. And I, like you said, we're talking, we, we were getting ready for a a show, a Mass Mel Access show, had David Martinez been fired coming back from New York after yeah. being swept by the Mets. He was literally not only with the team on the brink, he was on the brink of his job. So to go from that and and I can look at point at all these other teams like, yeah, you said Schild had a great job with the Cardinals. okay, but he was also given the best first baseman in baseball in the offseason from Paul Goldschmidt. Um, I think maybe the only adversity they went through was like they had a tough division, but the Cubs there ended up not being as good as we thought they were. Um, the Brewers had a deal with some injuries. That might be the diver- adversity that Craig Council had to go through because losing his best player in in Christian Yelich and still having a finishing with a winning record. I think he, they went like they had a, a lot of. I think a they they had a, they were above five hundred pers- after losing Yelich yes, and that, by a lot. I think yeah, and then that vaulted them into the playoffs. And then back to Snicker, like that roster's loaded. He did exactly what they were expected to do. And then also look at Dave Mar- Dave Roberts, who finished ahead of David Martinez in the balloting. He finished fourth. He, okay, yeah, they won the most games in Dodgers history, right? But again, that roster is set. They did exactly what they were supposed to be the best team in the, in the National League. And for David Martinez to take a team that was already the underdog going into the season and, and just the National League East, not even just the whole National League, and then to struggle as much as they did to have the worst bullpen in baseball and still manage to get the most out of his players and get to the wild card game to not finish in the top three. I'm not, I'm not advocating that he should have won that maybe can dive way yeah. deeper, but he needs to be in that top yeah. three because I mean, that is, it was an historic turnaround and, and it's hard in retrospect to not factor in what happened in October, but no team had a worse record through the first 50 games of the season and then became World Series champions. And that just doesn't happen willy-nilly. You know, there's a reason that it happened, and Davey Martinez is right in the center of why the Nationals were able to turn around their 2019 season. And if there was a manager of the postseason, he would oh, have I mean, so Hands down. He man. was, he was uh, I mean, that was one of the best managerial postseason jobs I think baseball has ever seen, Yeah. period. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that was, it can't be overstated how good he was at making those decisions. Yeah, managed. Dave Roberts, he outmanaged Craig yep. Council. He outmanaged Mike Schilt. I think the, the team just beat <laughs> they, them to a pole, yeah. but he didn't really have to do much managing against that. But then he also outmanaged A.J. Hinch. And um, I mean, that's no question. No question. I no, mean, and, and, and obviously, a lot of things have to go right. Mm-hmm. You know, some decisions aren't always perfect. And it's on the players, too. Right, right. But from a term, in terms of a purely tactical point, it seemed like Dave Martinez yeah. hit every single button correctly. I mean, the. With the exception of the Brewers, every other team, every team that they faced in the postseason had a better record than them in the regular season. Yep. Um, so you understand, again, I, I, I get why he didn't win, but he should have been in the top three. Yeah, um, I, I don't understand how he was not in the top three. But he's got the trophy that matters. He, he really does, and that's definitely, that's definitely way better. He'll take that every day of the week. Yeah. Um, all right, then let's just move on to a couple of awards. So Cy Young is tonight, Wednesday night. Um, I believe the uh, announcement at 6 o'clock on MLB Network. Max Scherzer once again finds himself in the top three. I was a little surprised. I'll be interested to see where Steven Strasburg falls in the final ballot. I thought he might have been able to sneak in there. But Max Scherzer, Jacob deGrom, 
obviously the two guys who finished one two last season. Um, I, I think it's going to really come down between these two. I mean, Kenjin Ryu had a really good season up again, and we've kind of dived into the nitty gritty. Uh, believe it was in like August or September, but I, I think that there are. I'm just going off of how I perceive the writers voting. I think where the stats where they value the most, I think favor Scherzer and, and uh, DeGrom. Yeah, I think so. I think, uh, I think DeGrom, I think DeGrom probably is going to win tonight. Yeah, Um, I think so too. I think, uh, you know, the, if, if Max, it it would be a totally different storyline if Max never got hurt in the middle of the season and didn't struggle um, after he came back from those injuries. Um, again, some of it is luck. I mean, you know, we, I remember after that Cardinal series talking about, uh, uh, Juan Soto missing the ball in left field. And that mm-hmm. led to like Max getting charged with something like five runs, yep. a, a start here or there. Um, and it's a different story. Um, I saw a lot of comments when Scherzer was named a finalist saying on our page saying Strasburg, uh, should have gotten it over Scherzer. I, I, I totally understand wanting to reward Strasburg for the season that he had. It was a career season for him, um, and of course, a career postseason, that, a dream postseason of winning, uh, again, the award that matters probably more than Cy Young, which is World Series MVP. But also, Scherzer did have better numbers uh, yeah. throughout the season than Strasburg. Um, Stras had 18 wins, but again, wins are not a huge factor uh, Scherzer had a 2.92 ERA. Straws had a 3.32. Um, Scherzer threw fewer innings, but um, he struck out almost as many. Um, his uh, whip was just a tick better. So to me, um, I would I, I I think Scherzer had a better year statistically, and I get the fatigue factor of you know at least on the national scale of not wanting to give it to a guy that has won it or a lot of times you know that's just a mental thing. Um, but I think Scherzer absolutely deserved to be in the top three. And Strasburg was, I think, maybe the would have. I hope that he finishes fourth um, in the voting because I think that's right where he deserves to be. Yeah, yeah. And then you talk about some the misplayed ball too. Just a little nugget like Max Scherzer led all of baseball in fielding independent pitching with a two point four five. That's huge. So uh, I think yeah, it's gonna come down to Degrom and Max. I, I agree. You know, Ryu was the front runner for first half of the season and he was on fire, but I think yeah. he kind of, he dropped off in the second he half. He did. And I, and I think Dave Roberts even admitted that you know, it was a little bit of fatigue. They kind of had to stretch him out a little more, give him some more time off um, because he hadn't pitched this volume before in his career. Uh, yeah. The, you know, I think what the Grom did, and this was like kind of the, my counter argument to like last season, but what the Grom did with the team that he had, is just, it's, is good enough to win and for Max to be on a, a better team and to come back pitch the way he did. He was on a team where he didn't need to be Max Scherzer, you know, yeah. like, and I don't know how much is going to, how much weight this is going to carry with, with voters, but DeGrom, I believe DeGrom had more starts too, right? He was a little more consistent. Uh, DeGrom made 32 starts as compared to 27. Max's 27. Yeah, yeah. So DeGrom was there throughout the whole season. You, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, Mac doesn't deserve to win because he got hurt, but that obviously doesn't help when you miss starts. Yep. Um, and I think I I gave the nod last year to Max because he had more innings and more strikeouts than Degrom, and I believe that's flipped this season. So, 
I would probably vote Degrom. I'll probably go one, two, three. Degrom, Scherzer, Ryu. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I think we're, it, we're pretty much in agreement right there. Yeah. Uh, Degrom had a two point four three ERA. Scherzer had a two point nine two. So he's got him beat there. Um, exact same number of wins. Degrom had a lower uh, WHIP, lower opponent batting average, uh, more strikeouts in more starts. Um, one more homer in more starts, and despite uh, making those five extra starts, uh, allowed just one fewer earned run than Max did. Yeah. Um, so I think I think uh, in a lot of ways Degrom hasn't beat, but he he did not that he came out of nowhere. He's always on everybody's radar, but I don't remember him be even being talked about as a candidate until midseason, right? Me too. Um, when he really started turning it up. So well, because I think I was part of. You know, Ryu was the runaway candidate for it. Yeah. And then Max had her came on really strong, but then got hurt. And then I think that's kind of allowed DeGrom kind of to just, you know, if I'm just going to keep my pace that I'm going at and I'll just end up being the front runner because yeah. Ryu's falling off and Max is not playing. Exactly. So, but Max did lead the league in uh, strikeouts per nine. I think that's a stat that these writers hold pretty dearly. Like, that's yeah. it's really high, 12.7. That's. It goes up every year, which yeah, is really ridiculous. I, I is I think it was a career high for him this year. Was it, it was, yeah, yeah. That is ridiculous to think about because it was a career high for him last year. I'm yeah. pretty sure, um, or at least it was close. Yeah, it was. I mean, he had 300 strikeouts. Yeah, he's year. he's just get, again he's getting better. It, it's gone up every year except for 2012. He had 11.1, but then from 2013 on, 10.1, 10.3, 10.9, which 11. is a ridiculous 2. number in and of itself. 12, 12.2 now, 12.7. He's just getting higher and higher as he goes on. I mean, he's going to be one of the best strikeout pitchers of all time. That's just a fact. Yep. Um, so it's going to be it's going to be kind of. I'll be interested. I don't want to call it nitpicking, but I'll be interested to see which stats that the, the voters are really yeah. going to emphasize in terms of how they rank their these guys in, in, in their on their ballots. Yeah. How about Rendon for MVP? That's going to be a fascinating race. That race is going to be super interesting because, kind of like Degrom, I think a lot of the sabermetric numbers favor Rendon. But you look at the home runs from Bellinger and Christian Yelich. Also got a factor in Christian Yelich missed the end of the season. Bellinger really kind of slipped off. And then Rendon had this brilliant September. <laughs> I think this is going to be a lot clo- closer than it appears. I think there was for a while we were talking about, okay, Rendon needs to be in the conversation. Now we might be talking about, okay, Rendon might need to win this thing because he, he led the, the majors in RBIs. Uh, his OPS was fantastic. He his, his average was fantastic. We his clutch hitting was great. He do, yeah he doesn't have the home run numbers, but I think we've alluded to like everyone hits home runs now. That that's yeah. that's no longer like a big thing. I and I, I don't know. I think nowadays like had this been like maybe like even maybe five years ago, it would have gone to Bellinger or yeah, just based yeah. on home runs and and and, and the power that they've. Uh, been able to to show off. Also, keep in mind the defense. Now, I know Cody Bellinger won a Gold Glove, but Rendon plays third base and 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 at a really high level. And I cannot believe. I mean, I can't believe because it's Nolan Arenado. But the fact that he hasn't won a Gold Glove is is just so it's yeah. So like it's irksome because it's, it's like he's so good at third base. Um, it's one of those situations where it's like a why did ex-NBA player not win a championship. It's like, oh, because he played at the same time as Michael Jordan. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He's just always had Arenado right. stealing it from him. So I think that, and I didn't realize also I was looking into it too. I bel- uh, yeah, Cody Bellinger's uh, defensive numbers are actually pretty impressive as well, playing center field. Or yeah. I guess he's a little more versatile. I think he's kind of played all across the outfield. Right field. and So lines, yeah. 
I think this is going to be, to, to quote Lee Corso of College Game Day, closer than the experts think. Okay. You know, the, ex, the experts are Can the you do a Lee Corso? No. Okay. No, I can't. <laughs> I wish, but he's just got that very specific. Yeah, I'm not even going to try. Yeah. But, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I think this is going to be, again, for a while we are talking about Rendon should be in the conversation. Yeah, he's in the top three. Okay, wait, hold on. He might actually have a chance to win this thing. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think Yelich was the runaway, and then he got hurt, and then Bellinger also kind of fell off. Yep. And that just kind of blew this race into a, a, you know, a free-for-all. Yes. I think, I think if Yelich plays the whole season, I think he it's wins. Yeah. Um, but the fact that Rendon played 16 more games, um, his batting average was 10, point lower, 10 points lower than Yelich's. And, of course, as you mentioned, those home runs. Uh, he's 10 fewer home runs. I don't know how much... Baseball, uh, these voters think uh, value rent, uh, RBIs anymore. Rendon had 126 RBIs. That was I the mean, most they should in, be in valuing the national. RBIs. Yeah. And uh, another stat, which, um, you know, I don't know how much they value strikeouts anymore. Rendon struck out 86 times in 16 more games, and Yellow struck out 118 times, and Bellinger struck out 108 times. Jeez. That is crazy. He put the ball in play every at-bat. What David Martinez asks for. Yeah. Uh, walked 80 times, which is the same number as uh, Yelich. Uh, Bellinger had more walks. So there's any number of stats that you can pull out um, to really make a case for any one of these guys. Uh, in terms of OPS, it's Yelich and then uh, Bellinger and then Rendon. Um, but, of course, Bellinger has the lowest batting average at 308. So there's... It is a, it is a fascinating race because you put those numbers right next to each other and it's it's nearly impossible to discern um, who should get it at this point. And I think narrative is going to have a, a big factor on this is you know because it was I really do think it was Yelich's award um, two weeks with two or four weeks left in the season um, and you know there uh, some people were like oh well you know and uh, Rendon missed a little bit of time and. Uh, Bellinger's played the most games, so you know it would be Yelich, then Bellinger, then Rendon. But then Yelich goes down, and then you look at Rendon's stats, and they're right there with everybody else's. I, I have no idea how those. Yeah, you mentioned go. the narrative. I mean, that's now we're kind of getting into my like nitpicking of this award, most valuable player, and and how I determine that is that, all right. Which player, if you take him off that team, does yeah. that team suffer the most? It might be Rendon. I mean, think about Bellinger didn't really struggle, but he was also a part of the best team in baseball or in the National League, I should say. So I go back to the uh, what was it the 2016 National League voting when Chris Bryant won it over Daniel Murphy. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, if you take Chris Bryant off the eventual World Series winning Cubs, they're still the Cubs. They're still a very good team. That year, early on, kind of like this season, you take Daniel Murphy off out of that Nationals lineup, the Nationals probably don't make the playoffs that year. He was that good. Um, kind of the same thing with Rendon. Rendon missed time, and that was during, early in the season, that was during this like whole 19-31 kind of fall-off. Christian Yelich misses time. The Brewers still put up wins and make the playoffs and knock the Cubs out of the playoffs and, and make the wild-card game. And so what is the narrative? We can look at the numbers all the time, but, you know, how valuable were each of these players to their respective teams? Bellinger, one of the best team in, in one of the best teams in baseball. Yelich's team was just fine without him. The Nats really struggled without Rendon, and then when he finally got back, he helped carry them to a postseason berth. Yeah, and 
Yeah, and, and you know, a, a one player, it's a team sport. They don't have all the, to do with right. it. But, no, absolutely. Um, but, but, like, yeah. But, yeah, the fact that it, you wonder if, if voters are going to take into account the fact that the, the Brewers were fine, not in the wild card game, but, you know, <laughs> yeah. over the last few weeks were fine. Um, well, they remember, I mean, when the Elgin went, da- went down, the Brewers were also down. They were down. Everyone was like, well, there goes the Brewers season. Yeah. Like, it's going to be the Nats and Cubs or Cardinals in the, in the wild card game. And yeah. they stormed right back. I I would be uh, thank God I don't have a vote in this because be I would really be tossing tough. and turning. Yeah. I think it, of the three of them, I think I would still give it to Yelich just because I think his stats are the best of yeah. the three. But it is so close. Well, this is like conversely to the the manager of the year award we just talked about. This is these are the right three guys. Yes, yeah, undoubtedly, like, undoubtedly. Like, so to tell Mark Tay was great, but. No matter how this shakes out, I mean, obviously, being, you know, having covered him his whole career, being a local guy, I want Rendon to win. But if he doesn't, even if he finishes third, it's not like, oh, come on, like up in arms about it. It's like, all right, yeah, I mean, (laughs) it can go, it can go anywhere. Yeah, because those other two guys are fantastic baseball players as well. And they're, he's all, all all three of them are worthy of the award. So uh, it'll be, it's definitely the most. Is American League a runaway? I don't even know. Uh, American League is... Um, it would have been a runaway if Trout didn't miss the last few weeks of the season. Yeah. But I think it, I think he still probably win will win uh, having played... What did he play? 120-some games? Yeah. So uh, I think... This might be the closest award, yeah. basically, is my point, is that, that we see this week. And it's one of those, okay, no, you know, whichever way they fall, I can accept. Because yeah. it... You know, it's it's a tough. I I I, I don't pity the. Uh, I do pity. I don't envy the uh, voters who had to vote for them. I wonder if they'll remake the Belly versus Yelly award. That's the other uh, funny commercial. thing too. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh yeah, spent all this money on this Belly versus Yelly commercial at the beginning of the season, and, and, Rendon and wins. if Rendon sneaks in and wins, oh well, MLB. that's yeah, that's oh, you know, that's narrative MLB. stuff. Yeah, that's, that's, that's true. That goes. That's true. Um, but yeah, fascinating. Uh, but again, he has the trophy that matters. He even does, if, even if they lose tonight. Yeah, even if he loses. All right, well, Anthony Rendon, good segue. He's obviously probably one of, if not the biggest names on not just the Nationals free agency market, but all of baseball. He's finally hitting free agency. We don't expect him to sign or any news really to come out. Every team's going to be interested in him. We'll see how that plays out. Um, but before we get to this offseason, we did want to look back to last offseason and how the mm-hmm. Nationals, some of the signings and moves they made um, from the end of last October through spring training, how that kind of shaped their season and their roster moving forward and kind of give maybe like a final grade for Mike Rizzo and how he put this team together over the course of those months before opening day in 2019. Obviously starting with the big one, the biggest one um, of the offseason. Also I have to give credit to Mike Rizzo. I mean, in a time where the baseball offseason is so dead and quiet and nothing ever happens because players want the most money as possible. The nationals were one of the most active teams in the free agency and trade markets last offseason. And it started with the signing of Patrick Corbin. It did. And it was, I mean, it was a, uh, he, he got to work quickly. I mean, yeah. the first move that he really made, I think, was the trade for Barraclaw, which happened on October 10th, uh, which was just 10 days into the postseason at that point. So, um, and, you know, it is what, November 13th? And we have not seen any really big moves um, so far. So he got to work early. I'm sure he, 
once he is, he's already back in the office, so he will probably get to work again quickly. But yes, the first major signing that went off the board was Patrick Corbin. Six-year contract, $140 million. At the time, I remember saying it was a lot to give a guy who had had Tommy John surgery, who had had an injury history, and who had had some down seasons in there. We're one year into a six-year contract, but at this point, Bobby, I got to give that an A. Oh, an A. <laughs> an an a. a. I thought yeah. you said a nay, and I was like, nay. <laughs> all in favor? <laughs> I thought after all of that hype you just gave it, you're going to get it. And I guess net? I just got to give him an F minus. Yeah. I mean, he was terrific. <laughs> uh, just absolutely. Yeah, no, 100% an, an A, an A plus. Um, I'm, I'm careful about my pluses. I don't know if I. Uh, I okay. I got to well, see. Yeah. It's a if passing grade. Cy Young, he yeah. would get it. Yeah, okay. it's a passing grade. Oh, man, I was really thrown off. I was like, what? Nay. Is, we're going to have this whole different conversation than I thought we were going to have. <laughs> uh, yeah, Patrick Corbin. I mean, we. Uh, I think uh, it was Steven Strasburg that mentioned after Game 7 his press conferences that Max Scherzer – no, it was Ryan Zimmerman, excuse me. Ryan Zimmerman saying that Max Scherzer might have been one of the best free agent signings in history. I think Patrick Corbin – was probably the best freedom signing of last offseason. I mean, the way his season ended up. Also, you know, he solidified this rotation not just by being a one, two, three, but also being the left handed guy. You know, yeah. he, how many times did we talk about this postseason? You know, instead of, you know, in a game five or a decisive game four, whatever, me, Gio Gonzalez is pitching, it's now Patrick Corbin. So he really changed the way that David Martinez and this organization was able to look at this starting rotation. Um, because he won so dominant, but also being a lefty allowed them to, to have that strong power lefty arm out of the rotation. And then also, obviously, the way he contributed out of the bullpen in the postseason. Was it three postseason in- or innings he pitched in Game 7? Yes. Uh, and was lights out during those three innings? I think that was... Yeah, because Max got through... F- yep, Max and got I through th- five. Patrick went six, seven, eight, and then Hudson nine. Yep. And wow, he was valuable. That's wow. enough that he's worth the price of admission yep. just for that. Exactly. Those three um, all right. So an A, five years left on that deal. But right now, very, very good returns. All right. Uh, the October 10th trade previously mentioned, they traded uh, international signing bonus slot money for reliever Kyle, Kyle Bearclaw. The first of uh, several ill-fated bullpen moves by Mike Rizzo. Uh, he finished with the Devils' number ERA, 6.66, uh, was not the guy they hoped they would get. They thought they were getting uh, – they thought that the year he had in 2018 with Miami where he had a, an ERA above four was an, uh, an anomaly. They thought they were going to get a guy who was closer to a potential closer. Um, not the move they thought they were going to get. Didn't give up a whole lot, but – that's got to be a, a low grade for me. That's maybe a D plus. D plus. You, you just said you're careful with your pluses. Um, <laughs> Am I A pluses? My <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, if not a failure, he didn't finish the yeah the season with the team. So yeah. placed uh, on waivers. Yeah. I mean, they, he he came in with the options. They were able to option him down a couple of times. Every time he came back, he didn't seem like he had it. He was able yeah. to pitch and not. I mean, we we kind of knew what he was because we've seen him with the with the uh, the Marlins, but it didn't seem like he was ever that guy to get enough outs and be reliable enough. And so, I don't know. It, to me, he didn't even finish the season with the club. Uh, that's just a fail. That's a fail. Yeah, that's a fail from Bobby. Yeah, that makes sense. That's I mean, it, 
We, all right, if you want to take his body of work when he was actually here, yeah, I can maybe ride with a D. I mean, I, I no, feel no, like, stick to your F. I feel stick like at times he was, you know, it wasn't a complete disaster. I mean, the next person we're going to talk about was a complete disaster. Yeah. But Kyle, Kyle Perkle at least got outs on occasion. Yeah. So that was a complete failure. But the fact the overall trading and, and acquiring him for, you know, and we and I remember talking about it too, along with you, is like Kyle Perkle and Trevor Rosenthal are going to solidify the back end, get the balls, you know, you know, you got your starters going one through six, and then you got seven, eight, and then do a little nine. Yep. And it's going to be fantastic, and it just not did not turn out that way. So that that aspect was a failure. So an F from Bobby. The next one, I think we're in agreement on. Trevor Rosenthal, one-year deal, $7 million. Jesus F minus, if F. possible. Uh, that that was uh, the worst. If Patrick Corbin was the best free agent signing, the Rosenthal signing was probably the worst. Hands down. Uh, that is a tough F to take on the report card. Next up, uh, they addressed catcher. They signed Kurt Suzuki uh, in December, uh, right around the time of winter meetings. To, or not of winter meetings, of uh, winter, uh, winter fest. fest yeah. yes. uh, Kurt Suzuki to a two-year, $10 million deal. Kurt Suzuki, uh, of course, got injured in the World Series, but he had a very productive season. Um, was the preferred battery mate of a lot of uh, national pitchers this year. Um, pretty much everybody except for uh, Patrick Corbin, or uh, yeah, except for Patrick Corbin. Scherzer had a two-run e- difference in terms of ERA when he was pitching to Suzuki as opposed to Gomes. Um, finished the season regular season, eighty-five games, two sixty-four batting average, which is above his uh, career average. At Seventeen homers, which was a uh, not quite a career high, but close. Sixty-three RBIs. Uh, in his age 35 season. So I would give this a, a high grade, maybe a B plus, a minus. Yeah. I mean, that's that was, a, a, I think, pretty much as much or more than you expected when you signed this guy. Yeah, I don't know if I'm allowed to do this, but I'm going to try to do it anyways. I'm going to l- combine Kurt Suzuki and Jan Gomes because okay. they were together. This, this catching duo was just so much better than the catching options they've had over the past couple of years. I'm, I'm talking, except for maybe... Wilson Ramos's season before he got hurt. But then you talk about Ramos, Weeders, Lobatone, Severino, all those guys just could not. I mean, they were fine catchers, but the, the offense was never there. Defense cost them at times as well. Especially talking about Matt Weeders. I mean, big Matt Weeders guy, but, you know, he was supposed to be what this catching duo this year turned out to be, you know, the staple yep. catcher, the everyday catcher. And the fact that Davey Martinez was able to, you mentioned 35 years old, to give Kurt Suzuki his days off because he could rely on Jan Gomes behind the plate as well. Their offense combined was better than any offense they've had from catcher over the past couple of years. So to me, the overall catcher additions at catcher position is, is an A. If we're talking about Kurt Suzuki's individually, yeah, I'm with you, B-plus, A-minus-ish. Yeah. A- a- well, the 10, 10 days after that, it's easy to lump them together because they those these two deals happened Came within 10 days of each other. Yeah. <clears throat> they traded uh, right-handed pitcher uh, Jeffrey Rodriguez and right fielder Daniel Johnson and a player to be named later. I don't even know who that player ended up being. Uh, to the Indians for Jan Gomes. Mike Rizzo clearly made catcher the priority um, mm-hmm. coming into that, that offseason, and... I think most of us thought that they might be done for the most part and just ride it out with uh, a Rowdy Reed or try to bring uh, Pedro Severino back um, as a backup. 
but good for Rizzo for saying it wasn't enough just to get uh, uh, Kurt Suzuki and going out and getting Jan Gomes. Uh, Gomes, to me, didn't have quite the, the season that, um, uh, uh, that Kurt Suzuki did. Um, offensively, at least, he didn't. He had 223, um, had 12 homers, 43 RBIs, played in 97 games, so played in more games. Um, neither of these guys was excellent at throwing uh, base runners out. Suzuki, maybe less excellent. Um, but, you know, the fact that he, sol- he helps solidify that position, I think, gives him a bump. So I would probably go a B, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, maybe a B- minus for the Jan Gomes deal. The player to be named later was Andrew Monasterio. Ah, yes. I remember that name, actually. Uh, to the Indians. And uh, how did, uh, we also should, should mention, how did Jeffrey Rodriguez do uh, when he was uh, picked up? I have him right here. <laughs> But while that's loaded, Jan Gomes, I mean, yeah, he solidified that catcher. Again, I'm giving this whole catcher addition and revamping an A. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm with you. I'm going to go like B minus for Jan Gomes. Um, but here's where his value really ended up becoming, I mean, uh, at the highest point of the season was mm-hmm. late in the season when Kurt Suzuki went down and Jan Gomes was basically having to catch every single day because they were in a playoff push. Yep. They needed to win. Every game mattered, and Jan Gomes was able to go out there and catch more often than not. I think they only gave him a handful of days off throwing Rowdy Reed out there. But Jan Gomes carried this position through September, and then also he had a pretty solid October as well. I mean, I think he was m- better offensively than Kirk was at times. I think Kurt Suzuki yep. had a little more clutch moments. <laughs> but he had the home run off of... Uh, Verlander, yeah, but beyond that, he did not have a very good offensive season. Yeah, and I think Goma, Gomes, Gomez, I'm sure, <laughs> Gomes was a little more consistent offensively at the plate and came up with some big hits throughout the postseason. So he ended up becoming, you know, the whole body of work throughout the season and the regular season wasn't terrific, but you know, again, narrative when he needed when he needed to step up, he did in September and October. He did. So uh, I'm going to give him overall like a, a, a B minus. To put a bow on it, uh, Jeffrey Rodriguez, 4.63 ERA in 10 games for the Indians, uh, 25, 26 years old. So he has uh, still got some in, ahead of him. And Gomes is a free agent, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So they made another move that was curious during winter meetings that we thought was particularly curious. But... In hindsight, it ended up being a money move, and it actually ended up working out pretty well, which is the Tanner-Roark trade to the Reds for Tanner Rainey. Tanner trade. The Tanner for Tanner trade, first in Major League Baseball history. Uh, At the time of the trade, Rainey had had very little exposure to the Major Leagues and did not have a good ERA, as I recall, um, coming into it in in very little uh, small sample size. Um, But Rainey was on the postseason roster, Pitched in the World Series in some tough situations. Wasn't excellent, but I think was was serviceable. Still has great stuff that you might be able to, to turn into a an above-average reliever eventually. Um, and Roark, by the way, spent the first half of the year with the Reds, was traded to the Oakland A's. Overall, 4.35 ERA in, a, in 31 starts, so he was consistent at least. Um, just a, just gave you a, a Tanner Roark type season. Yeah, it's kind of on par what we saw, except for like 2016 year where he, we thought that he was going to be kind of breaking out and be yeah. going to be a part of this Nationals rotation for a couple of years to come. That ended up being the case. He found his ERA north of four more often than not. Yeah, so this was basically a Tanner Roark season, and you know, 
I'm gonna have to give this. I we have some more time because Tanner Rainey is not a you know yep a fully fleshed out prospect. There's still time for him to grow, and this was his first consistent taste of the major leagues. He only appeared in eight games last year with the Reds and had an ERA north of 24. Yeah, so giving him some time to settle in. He kept his ERA under four, which is nice, you know, for a rookie reliever. Kudos to the National Scouting Department because someone saw this kid and was like, you know, he has stuff and we can make it play up here. Um, and the fact that he was able, and we talked about it in the postseason pods too, the fact that he was able to be somewhat of a reliable arm for David Martinez in the postseason. I mean, he had innings. He, he ate up innings. It wasn't just, we talked about how it was always a starting position, starting pitchers and then Doolittle and Hudson. Tanner Rainey wasn't just anyone that they threw out there. He had some high leverage situations and was able to get out of it. You mentioned pitching in the World Series. There's some value there. I mean, there, uh, you got to tip your cap. You tip your cap to the guy. Um, again, there's some time to fully evaluate this trade, but in terms of just this season alone, whole body of work. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give it like a, a B. One more factor to consider here is that trade helped them get under the luxury tax, True. which Tanner Roark was due about $10 million, I believe, and Rainey was due, of course, next to nothing. So that helped them get under the luxury tax, helped them reset the penalty so they didn't they uh, have the minimum penalty for this coming off season or this coming season should they choose to delve back into the luxury tax. So that certainly helped them. Uh, overall, I think it was pretty much fair value. If anything, I think maybe the Nats got a little bit less value just because Roark made 31 starts this year. Mm-hmm. The Nats potentially at times, you know, could have used a, a f- true fifth starter um, when they didn't have one. Um, sure. So I would give this deal in between a B minus and C plus seems kind of harsh. Yeah. Um, but I, is there something between a C plus and a B minus? There's nothing. No. C plus plus or a B minus minus. Yeah, I think that's how the ranking goes. C okay. plus. Then yeah. B, I'll, B I'll 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 go nice B B minus. Yeah. That's a B. Okay, B yeah. from you. Yeah. All right. Uh, moving on. Uh, they solidified their bench next. They signed Matt Adams to a one-year, four million dollar deal. Solid pickup. Uh, wasn't as productive as uh, the 2018 Matt Adams that we saw, um, but gave them a nice compliment to have uh, is platooning uh, Zim and him. Of course, Zim, again, missed time uh, with injuries, but, um, you know, Matt Adams to a $4 million deal, I think that's, that is perfectly fine. I would give this this a, a another, maybe another B minus. A B minus? I'm going to... Maybe C I'm going to go the narrative route and give it closer to like in a B plus a minus really just because the time that Ryan Zimmerman missed, he also allowed Howie Kendrick to have a couple of days off. So Howie Kendrick wasn't always playing first or second um, while they eased him back into it. And he hit 20 home runs. I mean, what more can you ask from a power lefty guy coming off the bench essentially? Yeah. Um, and, and replacement of your starting um, first baseman. So I, I think the he didn't play much of a factor in October in the, pl- in the postseason. So kind of maybe take that out of it, but, what he did in the regular season, and he also became a fan favorite, but what he did in the regular season, you know, hitting, slugging 20 homers and driving in 55, 56 runs while Zimmerman was benched, while Howie Kendrick needed rest, you know, couldn't play every day. I think that was another small little factor that we might look back on this year. It's like, wow, that really paid dividends because it allowed Howie Kendrick to stay fresh for October and allowed Ryan Zimmerman to take all the time he needed to get back 
and to get his rifles up because Ryan Zimmerman ended up hanging up a big October as well. He did. So, again, not too much value in terms of the actual postseason run, but he, I think he definitely played a factor in helping them get there in terms of small stuff like that. So yeah. I'm going to give it like a – I won't go A. I'll go B+. Plus. Okay. And um, also I think the value they got there too with the $4 million, I totally agree with you. Yeah. It's just that's fair value. and Yeah, for a veteran guy like yeah. that. Um, and it was one of those deals I think where, you know, they didn't – expect him to play 110 111 games right um they were probably hoping he would play more in the 80 game range um so you know him being pressed into service more than was needed um you know the 226 average and 276 on base but that's not what he's there nope. for. Yeah. um so i get that um but i i would i would stick with my b minus he's a great guy love him uh and might might come back uh we could see him he's a free, a free agent again uh, if uh, someone to look at especially if Howie Kendrick, which yeah. seems like it goes somewhere else. All right, uh, a couple more deals here. Signed Anibal Sanchez to a two-year, $19 million deal with a club option for 2021. Some people thought they might be reaching here, giving $19 million to Anibal Sanchez after he had a career year or a great year, maybe not a career year because he's had a great career, uh, it, with the Atlanta Braves in 2018. He was pretty darn good. He ERA good. Uh, around 3.85 for the regular season. Pitched some major, major postseason innings. Of course, game one in St. Louis, I think, is is his crown jewel of the postseason. Uh, so I would give this deal probably an A. An A. A I'm solid A. Yeah. I, I don't even think I could get a, a for any ball. For, for what you got in terms of value um, and and what was expected, I think you I think it's a solid A. Yeah, and I think I remember, if I remember correctly, at the time of the signing, you and I weren't too bullish on bringing him in here an older yeah. vet guy thought it might be an anomaly. Of yeah. A, last yeah. year thought it might've been an anomaly when he posted a two, eight, three ERA and 25 outings with the Braves gave you 30 starts. I mean, gave you 30 starts in an ERA under four, 11 and eight for a guy, his age. And then of course, obviously his postseason performance talked about all year long, the big three in Scherzer, Strasburg and Corbin and every single time you brought up to one of those guys, they say, well, don't forget about Anibal. Yeah. We have a big Ford. You cannot forget about Anibal. And a lot of times people did, and he proved that he should not have been forgotten because he had himself a hell of a season. Got to love – I will forever thank him for Kalma. Every time I, th- <laughs> I hear Kalma, I'm going to think of him and Brian Dozier. So, yeah, A for Anibal. Uh, for 2019 and uh i think a you know this there was a time in the season where this was trending towards a c probably in terms of a grade because remember the first couple months of the season didn't go too well for him he hit the injured list we thought it might be a nagging issue came back better and stronger than ever uh and had himself a great year so uh yeah i think he's got to finish with an a uh the other half of that calma duo brian dozier calma uh one year nine million dollar deal to be honest, this deal, uh, I think he underperformed for what I expected of him. Maybe not what of the Nationals expected of him. Um, and there was a time when we thought, uh, you know, that a Carter Kibu might be able to steal the job from him at one point. Yeah. Um, finished with an, uh, at a batting average in the 220s, correct? Um, and, uh, you know, still had a little bit of pop, but not quite the pop that he had uh, when he was in Minnesota for all those years. This one's kind of tough. I would probably give this closer to a C, C plus, um, especially uh, uh, given the postseason when he was pretty much, yeah, you know, I don't know an, if he made an, a start an, in the postseason. Um, did he make a, a start, a single there start in the go. postseason? Let's look at his postseason game log. Um, I don't think he did. It's Drupal Cabrera, who they picked up midseason, um, took the bulk of the starts at second base. 
He made one start, and that was game three against the Dodgers. Okay. Um, but beyond that, uh, nothing. So I am going to give this deal a C plus. You know what? I actually... A C. A C. A C? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it was a very... I was actually going to lean towards probably a B minus, but I think you just convinced me to go C because I think it's a very on the on the face of it, just a very average signing. He hit his twenty home runs, his fifty five RBIs, which is like kind of like the minimum what we were looking for. Like you know, yeah. if you do this, that's all right, that's that's fine. And I think some of us were expecting a little more than that, but like just just hit your minimum, and that's that, that makes it okay. And I think to me, okay is a C. So yeah. he was just fine. Obviously a great clubhouse guy, became a fan favorite, but on the field, now he was an improvement defensively at second base and they've had over the past couple of years. Not to say he was spectacular or anything, Mm -hmm. but he was an improvement. So let's give him some credit for that. But on overall for, for what he performed this season, um, the deal was, was pretty team friendly. Wasn't it? What did you say it was? Nine years. Or nine years. Nine years. Good Lord. <laughs> nine million one nine year. Nine million for, for one year. All right. That's yeah. that's a little maybe a little high. Right. But you know, for a former all star. Yeah. That's uh that's, that's about it. So yeah, I'll give it it's a it's a very okay sign signing by me. It doesn't yeah. It, you know, it's not terrible, but it's not great. Uh, I will correct myself. He had two thirty eight, so not in the two twenties. Uh what uh, C. I went. I'll go C plus. C plus. All right. Because couple, I'm I'm gonna factor in the off off field stuff. Yeah, oh, that's fun. A uh, couple other deals to get to. Neither of them great. Uh, Jeremy Hellickson, one year, three uh, one point three million dollar deal. Uh, Jeremy Hellickson was around. He was uh he was certainly there in the clubhouse throughout the <laughs> the postseason and the end of the year, but didn't do a whole lot for this Nationals team. Uh, made nine uh, eight starts. In nine uh, appearances, six point two three ERA. Um, look, cheap, 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 cheap deal, but probably a D, B plus. I think it was the right move to bring him back, mm-hmm. and just the fact that he couldn't get on the field is what makes it. Yeah, like it's yeah. not a complete. And it was yeah, it was, it's not a complete failure because it's not a Trevor Rosenthal situation. It was a guy who had pitched for you the year before that I thought deserved the right to come back and try to do it again, um, but just couldn't get healthy enough yeah. to get back on the field. So not complete. I mean, maybe in his eyes, a complete failure because he couldn't pitch during the season. Not entirely but, his fault also. No, not entirely. It's not his fault. And it's not like, again, not like a Trevor Rosenthal situation. I just think it was the right move to bring him back. It just didn't pan out. And it's no one's really, it's really no one's fault. So I'll, yeah, I'll stick with D minus. Gotcha. Yeah. And another deal that, Really didn't impact the team too much. No, and very low cost, 1.3. Yeah. yeah, so it's like, you know, great if it works out. What, so what if it doesn't? Tony Sipp, I'll take the L on this one. I thought he was going to actually contribute to I this team so as I. a matchup lefty. Um, it, you know, he he's certainly a veteran. Uh, he's 36 years old, um, coming off a an outstanding year for the Houston Astros. Uh, 1.86 ERA coming into the year. This year, 4.71. I actually thought he would stick around a little bit longer, too, just because of all of the injuries and issues that that bullpen was having. Um, but only made... Uh, he, he pitched in in 36 games, but wasn't on the team, you know, past uh, August. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think he was released in mid-July, maybe. Uh, or he might have been one of the... Ca- uh, August 5th, he was released. So... Uh, perhaps a casualty of them bringing in all those new bullpen guys. But uh, Tony Sipp, 
look, not, an ERA under five, which you can't say about too many guys in this bullpen. Yeah. So um, maybe, maybe, and considering one point two five million cheapest deal that they really signed, major deal that they signed veteran to this offseason. So uh, C plus maybe. So you mentioned he's a lefty brought in to get lefties out, and that's exactly what he didn't do. He had reverse <laughs> yeah. splits. He weirdly <laughs> he gave a two fifty five average against left handed hitters versus uh, two nineteen to right handed hitters. I'm going to go toward more of the D route. And again, it's more, again, we're talking about a guy who didn't finish the season with the, with the club on the major league roster. You didn't, you didn't do the one thing you're brought in to do very well. Yeah. Um, not a complete failure. Cause he did, he did pitch it at times and, and contribute, but yeah, it's going to be like a D for me. D. Yeah. That makes sense. I, I, he was brought in to get those lefties out, especially in that NL East. You got Harper in the division. You got Freddie Freeman, and he just didn't do it. Yeah, <laughs> weirdly enough. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, looking overall at the report card, it's kind of funny. They 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 hit on some. They missed big time on some others. You wouldn't necessarily look at the grades that we gave that off season and say that that's a World Series championship. Yeah, that's true. Uh, championship off season. They didn't certainly didn't hit on everything, but did just enough, and they already had the options in-house to get them over the top, and they got some internal improvements some, from some guys. So, um, And, of course, not all these grades are equal. Patrick Corbin's A means a whole lot more than, um, I don't know, than, than Jeremy Hellickson's D+. Plus, you know? Yeah. Um, so, uh, it, it, it not a doesn't stand out to you as a wow and amazing offseason, but... It was good. It right. was good. That's good. And that's a good point, too. If you flip that, you know, if you give Jeremy Alexander a hey, but Patrick Corbin a D plus, then we're kind of like the whole different conversations. Like, well, now what do we do with Patrick Corbin? We have him for six more years. So, it's like, <laughs> yeah, true. So, yeah, it's a good, that's a good point. Um, overall, if you're looking back at it, looks like they had a solid, I, I mean, I'm, not, I'm just trying to eyeball it, maybe B minus. Overall, so I mean, yeah, it's it's better than a C, you know. Yeah, you, yeah. You, you you did better than average, so, yeah. Um, and it worked out. They're worked World out. Series champs, so interesting to look back at those and some of these guys. Like, you know, when was the last time I thought about Tony Sip? It was it has to be Long months. Time ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those where uh, every every miss, even bumpy roads lead to beautiful places. Every misstep that they made led them to their yep, yep. And then you know, without him going down, you know, maybe Tanner or like also. Bearclaw and Rosenthal, maybe Tanner Rain doesn't get a fair shot at the bullpen and he's not pitching in the World Series. Exactly. But uh, yeah, so that was that was a fun exercise. Again, we'll be talking about now this offseason for the rest of the remaining offseason up, up until spring training. We'll be at the winter meetings in a couple of weeks. Um, I believe they announced Winterfest is sometime in January. We'll have all that covered. We'll actually be able to hear from players. Any news that's coming out of the general manager's meetings this week into next week, we'll be talking about as, as well. So make sure you stay tuned into the Mass on All Access podcast, of course, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play. Also on the Mass and Facebook and YouTube pages as well. At Bobby underscore Blanco for me, at Paul Mancano for Paulie. You can tweet us tweet at us throughout the offseason and uh, talk about baseball and the Nash and your World Series champion nationals throughout the offseason. Big shout out to Amy Jennings behind the camera for producing today's Mass and All Access podcast, which of course is brought to you by our friends at Marymount University. Visit MarymountStains.com to learn more about our student athletes and programs today. We'll see you next week, everybody.